You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, welcome into Loho Daily. I am glad that you are here hanging out with me. Today, I want to talk about what happened over the weekend. I want to talk about the national championship game in college basketball. We've got it set. Texas Tech versus Virginia. Let me walk you back a couple weeks ago. I I guess a week ago. Before you had the the crazy uh, finals, uh, regional final game with Virginia, I was sitting there going, man, this tournament is really lacking something. And I I actually wrote down, because occasionally I'll write down topic ideas that I want to do, whether it's for the podcast or for the radio show, and one of the things I wrote down was, is an NCAA tournament boring if there is no underdog? Now, my podcast emanates from Chicago. So over the last two years, Chicago has played in a, a big part of the NCAA tournament. You had Loyola get to the Final Four last year, and then you had Northwestern the year before make it to the Sweet 16 after never having made it into the NCAA tournament. If you look at the the way that the tournament is packaged, the the way that it's packaged is anyone can win. Like, that's the whole idea is any underdog can win. Now, last year we saw this team that's getting ready to play for the national championship, Virginia, be the first number one seed to lose to a number 16 seed with University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And that felt great on that Friday night when it happened. Like, we're all like, wow. You know, Virginia's out. Maryland, Baltimore County is, is is moving on. And I guess we're so kind of trained to want the underdog to win that, well, I shouldn't speak for you. I should only speak for me. That when we don't get that exact thing, we sit there and go, oh, this is boring. But I thought that last weekend's games – were some of the best I've ever seen in a, a a package of games where you had go games going down to the buzzer, you had games going in overtime. It, it was phenomenal. So this past weekend at the Final Four, I think we were treated to some good games as well. And it was bizarre seeing how the Auburn-Virginia game ended I was actually impressed that that Auburn was able to come back. It looked like Virginia, with about six minutes left to go in that game, it looked like Virginia had that thing locked up. And with the way that they played defense, you weren't expecting Auburn to make a run. But then they make the run, they take the lead, and then you go, oh, well, there's no way that Virginia is going to get back into the game because they're not known for offensive production. And what do they do? They end up getting back into it and then having a chance to win it. Kyle Guy is a hell of a player. 
If you saw him in the game against Purdue, he had 25 points and 10 rebounds, and he was usually the smallest guy on the floor for Virginia. The guy's got some guts, and he got the shot in the corner and drew the foul. To step up and hit three free throws like that is incredible. And so Virginia gets their chance at redemption. It's a, it's a fascinating story. On the other side, I, I wanted to share this because there, sometimes you interact with people in weird spaces, but you know it, it's, it's like you understand that someone's going to be a superstar in whatever it is. Like, you can just see it. In my business, like, it's Taylor Rooks, for example. Like, you spend any time with Taylor Rooks and you know that she's a star. The same can be said for Chris Beard. Four years ago, I'm calling a game, an early, God, it must have been November. A November game against DePaul and Arkansas Little Rock, and that's where Chris Beard was coaching. And I was talking to their scorekeeper, to their to their um, broadcaster, and he had given me his score sheet. And we were talking, and then Chris Beard comes out. And I get introduced to him. We talked for a few minutes about Arkansas Little Rock basketball, and I was asking him questions about his team, and I wanted to make sure that I you know, got things right. And I was sitting there going, oh, this is one of those guys. This is one of those dudes that's a star. So that's stuck with me as he moved on to Texas Tech, where he had been an assistant, that sometimes you just know when you are in the presence of someone that is going to go beyond where you might meet them at that point in time. And I felt that way about Chris Beard. By the way, in that game, they beat DePaul by 20. They came into the gym and beat DePaul's head in in that game. But I was impressed with the way that he was willing to share talking about the game and educating me so that I could talk intelligently about his team. So it stuck with me, and I'm really, really happy for him. I, and I'm looking forward to seeing this game. As strange as it sounds, I, I would have never thought that I wanted to see a Texas Tech-Virginia national championship game, but I kind of do. I want to see Culver. I think he's a phenomenal player. I want to see if Patrick Mahomes is, is sticking around in Minneapolis and if Travis Kelsey is going to be sober on Monday night because he looked like he was having so much fun. And I'm glad that the, the NFL's MVP allowed himself to get back into college mode and go enjoy himself. So I wanted to talk more about this with someone who was actually in the building. Luckily, Chris Emma, who is a reporter in Chicago, who covers Northwestern and Loyola and DePaul. He covers the, the Bears, but he, he has his roots as a college basketball reporter. I wanted to see what happened on Saturday night through his eyes, so I invited him on the podcast, and now you get a chance to hear him. So what's, what's the, the feeling like in that building to watch a, a, a Final Four game? You know, it's really something. That's probably, I think, my fifth or sixth time uh, in that stadium. I've done three Bears-Vikings games, and then I did the uh, Super Bowl there last year. And it's just different. The, uh, you know, the atmosphere. I was surprised, first of all, by these Texas Tech fans. I uh, did not really expect the way that they'd be traveling out 
Um, even walking around town, I felt like I didn't see that many, but they brought the noise. And it, the Final Four is unique uh, just in the way that the place fills up, the atmosphere, the energy. Um, they took it over for that second game. It was fun to see Patrick Mahomes, too. This looks like a kid jumping around and so excited about it all. But uh, the building did a tremendous job. The city did a tremendous job as well. Uh, it was a great host for the Final Four. Uh, it really, it just you're kind of overwhelmed by the energy and excitement that any of these, and I thought Minneapolis did a terrific job of the whole thing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy to see Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and Travis Kelsey looked like he 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 felt no pain yesterday. It looked like he was enjoying the entire process. I think he was enjoying himself, that's for sure. <laughs> so so let's talk about the, the two teams that are left, but, but before we break down that game, the national championship game, let's go back to w- what happened in the semifinals. And and I'd love to know, you know, from from your perspective, how you saw things. What was that moment like when the the foul call is called on Kyle Guy and he gets to shoot three free throws to send Virginia to the championship game? Um, it, it was interesting watching Charles Barkley. He was a big ball of energy on that CBS set. The you know very excited Auburn alum and Auburn product and. He was like everybody else, you know, his arms shot in the air, the Rocky Balboa pose. And then he went down to his side and he realized, oh, no, they called it. Uh, give credit to Kyle Guy. He was clutch. Ice water in his veins as he went up to the line. And I like the way he said he was avoiding eye contact with his teammates. Uh, he just wanted to zone in and make those shots, and he did. But Bruce Pearl, who I know is not exactly America's most beloved coach, uh, he said what I appreciated, I uh, kind of wanted him to say, which was that, if you're going to make that call, you call it at the beginning of the game, the middle of the game, and the end of the game if that's a foul. And it was. Uh, I think everybody saw it. Uh, when you get a closer look at that replay, you could see that there was contact. It was after the release, granted, but it was a foul and the right call to make. And even if there's 0.6 seconds uh, left in a Final Four game and the championship stage on the line, you've got to make that call because you can't swallow the whistle if it's a foul. Um, it's going to be controversial. It's going to be talked about. That's all we'll hear about Monday morning and, uh, you know, leading up to this game. But uh, it was the right call to make, and it sense. Gene Steratore on the television broadcast broke it down and said, look, this is what we call an A to B foul, where if a player jumps and lands basically in the same spot that they jump from, then you don't call a foul on the defensive player. But – if the defensive player is moving towards the shooter and makes contact, then it ends up being a foul. It was the right call. It just it was so heartbreaking because Auburn had fought so hard to get the lead in that game, and you're thinking that Virginia, because of their their type of pace that they play with, is not going to be able to come back. And then you know Kyle Guy goes out there and scores what seven points in eight minutes or whatever it was, <laughs> and and all of a sudden Auburn's out of this thing. Yeah, you know, and it all changed with that tight Jerome, that fourth foul. is 4.32 to go, 57-48, to 48, I believe it was at the time, Virginia leading. And you're thinking, wow, I mean, that's a bad foul to pick up. And Tony Bennett said he went up to Ty and said, what are you doing, man? And, and Ty knew he made a bad mistake. And Auburn went on the run from there. We've seen these runs, Lauren, so many times from Auburn in this postseason, in this tournament. Uh, it's a relentless team. The guard play they had was terrific with Harper and Brown. Um, and they were really able to just get a quick little spurt and get right back in that. Against Virginia, who's been 
a terrific force. Uh, talk about relentless. They're relentless in their own right, too. Uh, that defensive intensity that really kind of slowed Auburn's pace for most of that ball game. But you knew Auburn had one more run left, and sure enough, there it was. Um, they were that close. I mean, you don't foul him. That shot goes off the rim, and Auburn's on to the championship game. Um, I, I mentioned Bruce Pearl before. I mean, they, I, like I said, he, he's not he's controversial. He's been scandalous in his past. But he's a terrific basketball coach, and you got to give him credit for what this team did in March and what it can do here moving forward. Did anyone, after you guys were had a chance to talk with anyone, did anyone say anything about the non-double dribble call that wasn't made? Yeah, you know, Bruce was asked about that, and he kind of sidestepped the question. Um, I'm not really sure if the Auburn players, I think it was Bryce Brown and uh, Jared Harper, were even aware of that. Um and we talked about kind of, you know, the right call you have to make with the foul uh, on Kyle Guy and the three free throws he made. That's a really tough double dribble to call. I, I didn't even realize in the moment that it was. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you hear the old saying, everybody in the ballroom sees it in slow motion. And it's easy to be an officiating expert when you're watching after the fact and it's that slowed down for you. Um, I don't fault the officials for uh, for missing that the same way I don't fault them for making the call they did um, with 0.6 seconds left. So it added to the controversial nature of this whole thing. But, um, you know, it's just part of the ballgame. When the building figured out that there had been a foul called with 0.6 seconds left, what was the atmosphere like? You know, Gene uh, Honda, the uh, PA announcer, the White Sox, and the Blackhawks at the United Center, I think he's the very best in the business. He does every Final Four, and uh, he had the mistake that most of us in the building did, except he had to announce it, and he said, final score, Auburn 62, Virginia 60, and then they realized, oh, wait, there's a foul. Um, nobody realized it in the building. It, 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 I don't believe he needs to this by any means. I mean, he, like you said, he's the best in the business, in my opinion, but um, it was just one of those moments where you didn't realize that the pandemonium had broken loose, uh, the celebration for Auburn was underway until they realized, oh, man, we got three free throws coming up. Uh, it was mass confusion, too, because it was unclear uh, whether Guy was shooting two for the tie or three for the win. Um, so everybody was kind of you know, pausing for the moment and trying to figure out what was going on. The atmosphere was phenomenal all night long. Um, and that was just kind of a brief moment of pandemonium. Um, and just mass confusion throughout the entire, you know, 77,000, whatever it was last night. What was Guy's reaction to hitting three free throws in that moment? It was um, it was so cold. Uh, even after the foul, he put his head and his face inside his jersey. And he said after the game, he knew he was shooting. He was aware. Uh, he, at least he claims that he didn't think the game was over. He was trying to focus. Um and he went back, uh, you know, they kind of regrouped back to the huddle. And he wasn't looking at teammates. He wasn't looking at Tony Bennett because he didn't need it. Uh, this guy is confident as can be. He was focusing on those shots. He gets up. He didn't even, he hardly even hit the back iron on, I think, that third one. He was switched on the first two. Bruce Pearl calls the timeout to try to ice him. And just didn't matter. I mean, this kid, that's what you want in March is that kind of savvy player who, Terrific throughout the entire tournament, but to step up to the line, and he said after the game, you know, that's the moment that you dream of as a kid growing up, uh, for him growing up in Indiana where everybody wants to be that kid on the tournament stage. Uh, all he was thinking about was, I want to be clutch and win this game, get my team to the title game. 
and he did. It, it, it goes deeper, too. There's much deeper layers. I think it was the New York uh, Daily News had a terrific story about uh, some of the anxiety issues and some of the personal issues that he dealt with after uh, Virginia lost to the 16th seed at UMBC last year. Um, and Tony Bennett touched on it a little bit, too, about how he and Kyle Guy kind of looked at it to each other, saying, let's move on from this. It starts now. They knew how good this team was going to be coming back. Um, Kyle Guy has been open and honest about some of the issues that he's had and how that the loss to UMBC was a big part of it. So it's only fitting that he's the guy, no pun intended, who gets to the line, three free throws, and all he's thinking is, we're going to win this. And they did. It's pretty crazy, the story that you lay out, where here's a one seed that last year – is the first one to get upset by a 16 seed. It was a complete embarrassment for Virginia's program. How did they battle back to having a great regular season and an ACC tournament and finding themselves now one win away from winning a national championship? You know, Lawrence, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, the nature of college basketball and the current landscape and this 18-19 season was all about Zion Williamson and Duke, and, and rightfully so. They were the one-and-done stars. Uh, from a Chicago perspective, you're looking to, okay, is this going to be the guy? Can they get the top pick? It's all about these future NBA players because that's kind of the way the college basketball goes. But you look at this Final Four, and it's all teams that have built for sustainability, four-year players or three-year players. Uh, I don't think there's a single one-and-done in this entire Final Four. And that's not to say the one-and-done thing is wrong. Uh, in fact, it's been very successful. But Tony Bennett, along with Chris Beard, Tom Izzo, and Bruce Pearl, have been able to build programs uh, with these kind of players who are committed for the long term, the four years. And Kyle Guy, along with you know, Ty Jerome and the guys that they have on that Virginia roster, they were committed to this. Um, Tony Bennett said it started two years ago, as a matter of fact, that elite eight game. They got pounded by Florida uh, down in Orlando. Frustrating moment for a team that was felt it was deserving of being in the Final Four. And they got really put back down in their place. And they said, okay, let's, let's rebound from this. Let's build back up. They were the one seed, and they lose to the 16th seed, a historic and embarrassing 20-point loss in that one. But they were so committed to getting this right. And – Tony Bennett's one of the most likable, respected coaches in all of college basketball. And he happens to have good, young, skilled, talented players who also really buy in the way that he buys into them. Uh, it's a great thing to have where you know you've got those kind of four-year stars and those kind of players who, you know they're good, you know they're going to knock down those shots and they're lead, you know, your kind of style of basketball. But when they're on the same page as you saying, this is unacceptable, we're better than this, we're not losing to a 16th seed, uh, and they really take the humble approach to building back up, that's where success happens. That's why Virginia's the number one seed in that region, and now a team playing for a national championship. Um, you got to give credit to the way that Bennett has built this thing through and the kind of sustainability where you can, you know, you can change places, you can lose some seniors and some key players, but you still have that kind of culture and that kind of core in place. You can bounce back from losing to a 16th seed, and now you got a chance to win it all. Let's talk about their opponent, Texas Tech. I love Chris Beard. I, I, I've had a couple of interactions with him. I think he's a brilliant coach. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed with what his Red Raiders have done to get to this point. How does that program get built up to, to the point where – they, it's not like they were a secret. I mean, they were a fairly high-seeded team. 
So, but how did he go in there and get that work done? Yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, in his post game press conference too. We heard Tony Bennett telling the story of uh, building Virginia and kind of the two year window here. Well, Chris Beard's been there for now his third season, and he was asked a question. He kind of took umbrage to about um, taking a program that is not his historic basketball school, um, and the the question was a little loaded in terms of discussing the lacking history in Texas Tech's past. And he said, "Well, listen, man, I can't speak to that. I've been here three years, uh, and this program is pretty dang good." And he's right. I it's I've never been to Lubbock, Texas, Lawrence. I don't know if you have. I'm guessing no, but. Um, it's not exactly a hotbed for college basketball or really anything. Um, it's kind of considered a tumbleweed town, but um, he's been able to do it without kind of the five stars. They certainly no one and done, even though he's probably got a few NBA players on that team. But guys who are willing to commit themselves to working in Chris Beard's style of basketball, uh, trying to be more physical, at least uh, up to par in physicality with a team like Michigan State, for example, uh, they're able to really kind of change their style of playing, do whatever it takes to be, uh, you know, to be successful and to be victorious that night. And um, it, the adaptability and the way that Beard's team can play and adjust its style, whether it's running or slowing it down, uh, play with that kind of intensity for 40 minutes, it's there every game. Uh, and it's good enough in that Big 12 where it's been dominated by years for Kansas and a handful of others. Texas Tech's not going anywhere. Uh, they got good young players. Like Culver, obviously, a terrific player. Matt Mooney, the Wakanda product. Uh, Niles Notre Dame, and he was the leading scorer in that game with 22 points and some big shots. Um, he's just able to find guys who play the similar to Tony Bennett in Virginia, fit that style of play, are willing to buy in, and work their butts off to be a championship-level team. Um, uh, same thing with you know what Virginia was establishing a few years ago. I think Texas Tech is extremely similar. And that uh, this you know a couple years behind, where this could be a team that's up there in you know top ten for many years to come. What impressed you about their win against Michigan State? Um, the fact that you saw that late run from Michigan State when the game looked to be over, and Texas Tech found a way to respond. Uh, Chris Beard referred to the game uh, kind of flashbacks to Lovey Smith, if you will, of uh, playing it in uh, four minutes span. They want to win all the four minutes, and he divides the game up that way. And, uh, it, you know, they, they were men willing to uh, pull through and win that last four minutes. Uh, they were the better team. They knocked down some big shots. Um, I had mentioned it before. Their fans are terrific. It was really cool the way that they brought it. Um, but I just like the resilience where Michigan State, you know what Thomas's teams are, uh, the way that they can click and respond at the right moment. And poor Matt McQuaid, by the way, is going to be thinking about that miscount from the corner with three minutes to go or whatever it was. That's going to be stuck in his mind for a while. That would have tied the game uh, and changed the dynamic of it, but it rimmed out, and Texas Tech found a way from there. Uh, it's a resilient bunch, and you could really sense that. It was crunch time. It, you know, it's not the star power. They got you know a couple of good young players. That Culver, I think, is a terrific player. But, um, you know, there's no, like I said, there's no one and dones. Um, it's just a good group that really is committed to winning and pulling through in those moments. And, um, you know, it was kind of the Kyle guy three shots in a span of four minutes, if you will. They kind of collect team that you could see revealed there. So uh, I appreciated the way that they were able to pull through when Michigan State had one more run left. What do you think of this matchup? Because I don't know if, if anyone envisioned, well, two teams that are kind of based on defense 
ending up playing in the national championship game? It's not the sexiest matchup the way it wasn't the sexiest Final Four. Um, you know, it, it, it's for the basketball purists, and I know a lot of basketball purists were very excited about this. Um, I think on paper, you think it's going to be a low-scoring game, but these two teams can score, too, and they can they, they can work the pace if so desired. So um, I think it's going to be a very entertaining basketball game. These are two teams that really kind of asserted themselves. Um, you know, you can see their style prevailing as they reach this stage. Um, and they've won, you know, Virginia's won a bunch of close games. Tech looked pretty uh, resounding in that win against Gonzaga. And uh, certainly in those last four minutes last night to win by 10. Um, it's, these are, I think, the two best teams of this season, believe it or not. And I think they've proven that. It's, you know, everybody's talking about Duke and Zion and, uh, you know, the star power that you have there. But these are the collection of, the, you know, the best groups. Uh, I think they're some of the best coach teams in the country. Uh, it, it wasn't exactly what people were projecting when they were filling out their brackets or whatever, but these are two terrific teams, and it's going to be a hell of a game. Why do you want to be in, at the Final Four? I mean, you do all sorts of stuff. So what is it about covering the Final Four that you like? The atmosphere is incredible. I, I mentioned it before, but um, it's such a draw. It, it, it just, it's got this kind of... Uh, I just got this kind of feel that gives you chills. It's uh, I've, I've covered a lot of games, and um, you know I'm not quite the old washed-up sports writer yet, but um, I've covered a lot of games where you know, sometimes there's a repetitive feel to it, if you will. Um, the Final Four never gets old. It, it's just it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know the scenes uh, leading up to the game. You get four fan bases. Uh, you get tons of college basketball fans in. Uh, this is my third one of these. Uh, I was down in San Antonio last year for uh, the Loyola run. And I was down in Indianapolis a few years ago for that great uh, Duke-Wisconsin game and that whole Final Four. But it never gets old. It's just this unbelievable, uh, you know, this kind of unbelievable feel when you get whatever talent it is. And uh, I really enjoyed the way that Minneapolis uh, brought it. So, um, yeah, it, it, you mentioned, I mean, I cover the Bears primarily. I'm getting set for kind of baseball mode. But, um, you know, that time at January and the end of the football season on through April, I can kind of uh, – I uh, kind of find some different features or different things that I don't ordinarily get to cover. And working on a couple uh, longer features as well right now, but uh, I was down in the Midwest Regional last weekend, too, in Kansas City, and the NCAA tournament is so darn fun. So, uh, yeah, it was right up the road. Uh, I have some friends in town as well, as well in Minneapolis, so um, I couldn't pass it up. What was the best meal that you had? <laughs> um, boy, I... Um, I did these, uh, a friend of mine from uh, my hometown, we did uh, this pizza, these wood fire kind of trendy pizza place, uh, kind of by the University of Minnesota. So we did that Friday night, and that was fantastic. Um, it was really good. It was, I'm not exactly the most trendy guy, Lawrence. I think you know that, but uh, I was digging it, so it was a good spot. Well, Emma, thanks, man. I appreciate you putting in the work, and thanks for jumping on the podcast. Lawrence, thanks for having me out, buddy. That is Chris Emma. He covers the Bears for 670 The Score in Chicago, but he has a long history of covering college basketball. And when I found out that he was up in Minneapolis, I was following him on Instagram and and figured out that he was up there. I was like, why don't I talk to him and get a, a real sense of what was going on inside that building as things went haywire for Auburn. I I'll tell you this much. I was kind of rooting for Auburn, which is crazy because I'm an Alabama fan. 
But part of the reason that I was rooting for for Auburn is so that when they did win the national championship and then it was vacated, I could laugh. I'm only halfway kidding. And at the time when they make the the foul call and send guy to the line, I'm sitting there like, man, you can't make that call. But you got to make that call. You got to make that call. I did think it was it was traveling too. Like I thought I was crazy, but there's so many new rules. Like I didn't know now you could shoot it, and if if you airball it, you can actually go get it, and it's not a travel. Like remember in your backyard, a guy does that. They can't pick up the ball, and he just try to box you out. Have you touch it first, and then you get it. But yeah, now you can you can do that, and it's a strange, strange place to be. So I just thought we'd do a little college basketball since it's the daily that we could get you ready for Texas Tech versus Virginia. I've been more into this NCAA tournament than I expected to be, and I'm looking forward to a final tonight. And maybe we'll do something on tomorrow's pod, wrapping things up about it. I'm sure that I'll throw something else at you as well. But I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chris Emma. Texas Tech is playing for the national championship. How crazy is that? 